turn with me to that passage that Ben read a few moments ago from the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it's on page 641 in the Pew Bible, if you're using the Pew Bible. For the next eight weeks, Ben and I are going to to lead us on a journey together in this Old Testament book that will at times, I warn you, will at times feel a, a wee bit depressing and hopeless but I would urge you to stay with us as we hang in there together and studying God's Word and find that ultimately uh, the book of Ecclesiastes provides hope and life and grace and meaning despite the depressed tones of these early chapters. We're looking today at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. You've heard the reading of God's Word already and you have it open before you. It was the great author Leo Tolstoy who purportedly has written one of the the greatest pieces of literature in the history of mankind. It's a massive work. Perhaps some of you have read it, all of it or part of it. I'm speaking, of course, about the book War and Peace. It is a, a massive tome and I'm Not surprised that there might not be many in this room that have read it. But perhaps you would know about another book that Tolstoy wrote in 1879 called A Confession. And in that book, Tolstoy takes an autobiographical look at his own life. And he tells the story in this book entitled A Confession... He tells the story of his own personal search for meaning and purpose in life. You need to know a little bit about Tolstoy to appreciate his conclusions. Tolstoy rejected Christianity as a child. As a young man, he left his university training and very much like a prodigal, he he went out and sought pleasure and fulfillment and satisfaction in the things of the world. He went to cities like Moscow and St. Petersburg, and there he lived a debauched lifestyle. He drank heavily. He lived promiscuously. And he gambled frequently. Tolstoy's one ambition in this life was to become wealthy and famous. But in that pursuit of wealth and fame, he discovered that nothing in this world satisfied him. In 1862, while the Civil War was was separating the North from the South, Tolstoy and Russia married a young woman. And by her, the two of them together had 13 children. He was surrounded by what appeared to the world to be complete happiness. And yet Tolstoy was nearly driven mad, almost to the verge of suicide, as in various moments in his life, he pondered this question, Tolstoy's question. Is there any meaning in my life which will not be annihilated by the inevitability of my death? 
Tolstoy searched for an answer in every arena and realm. Science, philosophy, wealth, power, love, family. But he discovered as he sought for all of these things that none of them satisfied. And he recognized that he was not alone, but that many of his contemporaries were not facing up to some of life's huge questions like, where did I come from and where am I going and who am I and what is life all about? And those questions that confronted Tolstoy over and again in his troubled life are exactly the questions that the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is putting forth for our consideration in these next eight weeks. Ben and I are calling this series of teaching messages the game of life. And it seems to me that when all is said and done, when you boil it down to its lowest common denominator, that as we are engaged in this game we call life, that we are confronted by the same question that Tolstoy asks and that the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes asks, what's the point? What's the meaning of it all? It seems to me that that single question, what's the point, and its twin sister, who am I, has provoked thought and encouraged introspection and fueled debate for 30-plus centuries. It is a question that many in this room have, if you were honest, have asked yourselves. Perhaps you're in the midst of asking that question today. What's the point of my life? What's the purpose to it all? And for some of us, we feel like the answer is elusive and not within our grasp. And yet I contend that answering those fundamental essential questions are absolutely necessary to find true satisfaction and peace in your life. The question we're asking in this series is, what is our ultimate purpose in the game of life? What is this life all about? And what we'll discover as we study the book of Ecclesiastes is that this question will be asked again and again and again in different forms, but essentially is the same question. The author of this Old Testament book is Solomon. There's some debate about that. Volumes have been written about whether indeed it really was Solomon, the son of David, who wrote this book. But for our purposes, and, and I'm not going to debate that, I hope that, that if you want to pursue that, that type of study, feel free to do so. But for our purposes in these eight weeks, let's agree together that it was Solomon, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem, that that wrote these words. Solomon, who we know was considered to be the wisest man that ever lived, and also the richest man that ever lived. Solomon so rich that he had a fleet of ships that would bring gold to him every day from far off lands. Solomon, who had thousands of servants. Tremendous, vast amounts of property and land. Solomon, who was an intellectual genius, the top of his class. Solomon. History tells us that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Would somebody please tell me what a man with 700 wives needs with 300 concubines? 
Talk about a nightmare. For whom? <laughs> Solomon, he's, he's like a mix of contemporary figures like Bill Gates with his wealth and Hugh Hefner with his Playboy bunnies and Brad Pitt with his looks and Albert Einstein with his intelligence. Solomon, he, he had all the riches that this world could offer. He was sexually active. He was powerful. He was a ruler. He was a genius. And yet, when he comes to the end of his life and he looks backwards over his life, he says it's all meaningless. Let's explore what his findings are. Verse 1, the words of the teacher in Hebrew, the word is quohelet, means a preacher, one who stands before an assembly. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Again, we're not going to debate whether or not it was actually Solomon who wrote this. But for our consideration, we will say he has. And then in verse 2, you'll notice that he begins... Interestingly enough, he begins with his conclusion. His whole argument is going to be based on these few words that he speaks right out of the chute. That was not uncommon among Hebrew poets and literates. Because it was common in this day, these years and centuries prior to Christ in Hebrew literature, to always begin with your most important point first, and then unpack that point. So Solomon begins with the main point of this entire letter, the entire 12 chapters, and he says, meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless. Or perhaps your translation says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What Kohelet, the teacher, the preacher, has done is reduced everything in this life to one grim concept, and it's expressed in one puny little Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is the word hevel. Hevel. It's a puny word. Hevel. It sounds less like a word and more like you're <clears throat> clearing your throat. <coughs> hevel. You can take this word, which we translate meaningless, and, and you, can, you can translate it in a variety of ways. You can say that it is meaningless, or it is best translated vanity, or best translated emptiness, or futility, or, or vapor, or, or breath. <clears throat> Havel. But I think the best translation of this word is this. That's what life here on earth is. It is... Let's have some fun. Let's do it together. 
Everybody ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. A chorus of... That's what our lives are. Just a mere... Hevel. Meaningless. Empty. Now be honest with me. Don't answer out loud, but answer in your heart. Have you ever woke up in the morning and felt like life was like that? That life was just... That it was... Hevel. Or maybe better put, it was... Hell. Just plain hell. I mean, think about our lives. You wake up in the morning. You take a shower. You eat your breakfast. You brush your teeth. You get in your car. You drive to work. You work 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours. You drive home. You watch TV. You go to bed, and the next morning you do it all over again. You get up, you take your shower, you eat your breakfast, you brush your teeth, you drive to work, you work eight hours, you drive home, you watch some TV, and you go to bed. You get up, you take your shower, you eat your breakfast, you brush your teeth, you get in your car, you drive to work, you work, you drive home, you watch some TV, you go to bed, and you string enough of those days together And what you've got is one great... (laughs) And Solomon says, that's our life here under the sun. I want to make it very clear that, that when he's talking about this empty, vain, purposeless life, that he is indeed specifically talking about life under, under the sun. Life on the horizontal level. Life apart from God. Life with no grace. Life with no future. Life with no eternal life. According to Solomon, the game of life has no ultimate value. Man has no ultimate purpose. And we must all agree together that apart from God, our life is futile. It is merely a... It's a game. And it's a cruel one at that. I mean, think about life. We're born toothless without any hair, wearing a diaper, dependent on everyone to take care of us. And we end our life toothless, without any hair, in a diaper, depending on everybody to take care of us. And in between, the cradle and the grave. There is a stretch of days. And we try to draw meaning out of it. We try to make it purposeful. We try to find satisfaction. 
Well, apart from God, there's no lasting satisfaction. I mean, it seems to me that the only time anyone seems to care about us is when we're born and when we die. Because that's when we get our name in the papers. Life is like a mist, a vapor. And everything we feel and experience, our work and our labor, everything that we strive so hard to attain and accomplish at the end of our life under the sun, it is utter futility. So how does Solomon come to this conclusion? Well, in verse 3 he says, What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils? Again, the phrase, under the sun. It's used, I think, 29 or 30 times in, this, in these 12 chapters, this phrase, under the sun. In other words, and I think it's a very good question, what profit is there to all of our toil and labor? We would say it this way. When all is said and done, when you turn out the light at the end of your life, when you finally close the door to your business and you retire, when you walk away from the fresh grace of someone that you loved, when it's curtains for you, what does all of your labor gain for you? What advantage really is there in working all your days for these things that supposedly are to bring us joy and pleasure, but we never enjoy them or get draw any pleasure out of them because we're so darn busy working for these things that are supposed to bring us joy and pleasure? And one has to ask the question, so who's the slave and who's the master? Who owns whom? I mean, come on! You work your whole life You punch in and you punch out. Day after day, you labor under the sun. And then you finally punch out for the last time and they give you the gold watch. And you retire so that you can now enjoy life and blast it. What happens? You up and die. Before you can enjoy it all. And then they stick you in a box and you become worm food. And all your children and grandchildren get to enjoy what you work so hard for. This is really uplifting stuff, isn't it? (laughs) Hang on, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. But the teacher says, You may think you can work your way to happiness. You may think that by intellectual pursuit that you can find happiness and pleasure. You may, you may go the process of, of sex and, and, and and all of that activity and think that you'll find pleasure, but don't count on it because life under the sun is absolutely meaningless. It is merely a, and a life without God, apart from God's grace, is dreadful drudgery. You think that you can find happiness by finding a cause or joining a movement to save a whale or save a tree or save J-Lo's next victim of a husband. But none of it will bring you any happiness. 
He goes on, again, he's already stated his point. Meaningless, meaningless is life. And he says, life is a weary go-round. Look at what he says in verses 4 through 7. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the north or south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they, there they return again. All things are wearisome. He takes a look at natural phenomena and he says, look at the world around you. It's all cyclical. The whole world is just in a cycle. It, the, the whole world is, is, is running in circles. Generations come and generations go. I was talking to a friend this week and we were kind of... I think this happens when you turn 50. We were sitting around commiserating about the younger generation. You know, when will they grow up and take responsibility? Why can't they be like we were, perfect in every way? <laughs> generations come and generations go. It's all in a cycle. Uh, he, he goes on uh, talking about these endless cycles. The sun rises and sets day after day, year after year. We don't see much of it, but by the way, it's shining today. Same thing. It comes up in the east, goes down in the west. Circles around, comes up in the east, goes down in the west. Circles around, east, west, east. Look at the wind. The north wind blows off your hat. Then the south wind comes and blows off your hair. It's all in a circle. It blows off the, the leaves in autumn. And the strong winds of March blow against the oak so that the roots are strong and deep. Look at the rivers. The streams flow into the rivers. The rivers flow into the sea. But he says in verse 7, the sea is never full. Why is that? Because it goes in a circle. The water makes its way out to the sea by the process of evaporation. The sun evaporates the seawater, causes it to rise, go up into the heavens, turn into clouds, sprinkle in some storms, some strong winds, and it falls to the earth again and goes into the creek, which goes into the stream, which goes into the river, which goes into the bigger river, which ultimately goes into the sea, which goes in a circle, which evaporates and goes into the heaven, which falls like rain into the creek, into the stream, into the river, into the sea, the sea is never full. It is, it is running in circles. <laughs> and our lives under the sun, apart from God, some of you, you're just running in a circle. You get up, you take a shower, you eat your breakfast, you drive to work, you work eight hours, you drive home, watch some TV, go to bed, and the circle begins the next day. You wake up, you take your shower, you eat your breakfast, you drive to work, 
I'm getting out of breath. (laughs) And you do that enough in a life apart from God, and it is together. Uplifting stuff. Is there any hope? Well, Solomon, in asking this essential question, says, yes, I think there is life before death. Look at what he says in verses 14 to 15. I have seen all the things that are done under this under the sun. All of them are meaningless, some mere chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. It's like a Rubik's Cube with two blocks missing. No matter how many times you spin it, you'll never be able to get all the reds where they need to be and all the greens where they need to be and blues and yellows and whites because the design is flawed. Something is missing. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. There is no hope. There is no meaning. There is no lasting satisfaction in a life that's apart from God that is not centered on God and His grace in our life here under the sun. My dear friend, may I ask you a question as we close our time together today? Have you been able to get your, the Rubik's Cube of your life put together in such a way that you're able to answer life's huge questions? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's the meaning of it all? And if your worldview does not enable you to answer life's essential questions, don't you think, because you're a sensible person, don't you think that maybe you ought to take a look at maybe changing your worldview? A worldview that might answer the questions that are in your mind when you lay awake in the middle of the night. Are you so darn proud that you'll hold on to the dead-end streets that you're following? Listen to the wisest man in the world who said life under the sun is crooked. It's twisted. It cannot be straightened. This life apart from God. Incidentally, attending church services will not fill this void. Religious exercises and practices, as helpful as they may be, can never answer the deep, insatiable longing of the human soul. That God-shaped void, as Pascal referred to it, may be addressed only by God Himself. And there's only one who straddles the course of human history. And to those who are asking the question, is there life before death? Jesus would say to you today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
and you never get to God except through me. Jesus would say to the one who's looking for meaning and purpose in their life, I have come, says Jesus, to give you life and that life more abundantly in all of its fullness. And if there is nothing but nothing under the sun, then I would place before you and submit to you today, if there's nothing but nothing under the sun for us, then our only hope is not under the sun, but our only hope is above the sun. In fact, our only hope is in the sun. S-O-N. But what will you do about it? Listen, the only way you will find satisfaction and meaning in this life under the sun is by putting your life in the hands of Jesus Christ and trusting Him as Savior, receiving His gift of grace. You don't deserve it. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't go to church often enough to get it. It's a gift of grace. And He wants to rule your life. But the question is, will you let Him in? So here we are. It's time to punch out. I punch out just like you do. And I think perhaps that I may have punched out for good if I had not uh, met Jesus Christ. And in my meaningless rut, in my life-weary-go-round treadmill, there was a moment when God in His grace reached out to me as He did with Saul on the Damascus Highway. And He blinded my life with His glory. And He said, I am Lord. And I said with my whole self, yes, you are. And in that moment, this life running in circles, I was stopped dead in my tracks. And God brought meaning and purpose and hope and peace and contentment and satisfaction. And I want to give my entire life, as long as I live, I want to give my whole life as a sacrifice back to Him as a way of saying, thank You, Lord, that my life is no longer but now I live a life that's packed with purpose. And you can, too. Let's stand and pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would ask you in this sacred moment, right where you are in your heart of hearts, are you able to grapple with life's essential questions? Do you know the meaning and purpose of your life? Or is your life meaningless 
a vapor, empty, just a plain old. Would you call out to God today and say, Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, I've been trying to find find meaning in something. Find meaning in someone else. Find meaning in a relationship. But today, Lord, I come to the end of myself and I would say to you, O oh God, that you're all I want. More than all in you, I find. And I want to begin to see your design and your pattern worked out in my life. I say today to you, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what otherwise would seem meaningless and without any redemptive purpose. That by your grace you have saved us and you've made us a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. And all things have become new. Even though Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun, in Christ all things have become new. So keep making us, Lord, and shaping us into the image of Christ. And for those who are seeking spiritual answers to deep questions of life, may they find that their search is ended when they hope open their heart and life to you. Now, O oh God, dismiss us with your blessing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, cause your peace and meaning and purpose to rest upon our lives so that wherever we go today in the days of this week, we would give witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Cause your peace to rest upon us, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord.